Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Now, uh, here's where I want to start today for our message. Um, I want to talk to everybody about your favorite subject in school. Now, I want you to think about it when you were, so if for the students in the room, what's your favorite subject now? And for the, anybody who maybe school is, you know, it's a distant memory, I want you to think about school when, it, I was trying to be polite there. Uh, <laughs> I want you to think about what was your favorite subject in school when you were a kid? Or go ahead and think about it and turn to your neighbor and tell them what it was. Go ahead and do that now. I think I heard somebody say lunch. I think I, t- I heard recess too. Right. Great. Very good. All right. So my favorite subject in school, my favorite subject, come on back, 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 come on back. My favorite subject in school growing up uh, was first actually art. Uh, I, if I wasn't a pastor, I would probably be a graphic designer, maybe even an animator. Uh, I love what uh, just unbelievable animation studios do. And so a lot of that kind of art mixed with uh, digital graphics on stuff, I loved all of that. By the time my senior year came around, four out of the six periods were involved with art classes for me. I love that. Now, my second love after that, if you're talking about tra- the traditional subjects in school, my favorite was math. Because math makes sense, mostly, mostly, mostly. So I thought since it's still the beginning of the new school year and some of us are going to be helping kids with homework or maybe your student, you're just getting started in the school year, I thought we'd tune up a little bit of our math skills. So I have a pop quiz for us for some math stuff. Don't worry, there's no grades given out for this. Help me do some math problems here. Let's, let's do an addition problem. What's nine plus eight? 17, you better not be pulling out your calculators, okay? Okay, let's do some subtraction. What's 17 minus 9? You guys are so smart. Let's do some multiplication. Let's do 9 times 8. 72, there you go. Looks like there was a little bit of... 72, okay, how about this one? Let's do some division. What's 56 divided by 8? 7, very good. All right, how about this equation? Who can do this one? Oh, no. I don't even know what some of these symbols are. What in the world? So math made sense to a certain point in school for me. Like math just makes sense. But when they took numbers and replaced them with letters, that's where I became convinced the devil's involved in math. I mean, look at this here. They started putting sin in math. Exactly. All right, how about this one here? Okay, how about this one here? Three equals one. Uh, No, right, I know, I know. Now just hang with me for a minute because even though this looks contradictory, it's not. And if you can learn this deep truth here that three can be one and one can be three, it could change your life. Not only grow your faith, change your world. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be closing out our series, our August series today. And we've been talking about for the past couple weeks of who is God. And our basic premise in this series, if you've been following along with us, 
is that our culture is growing increasingly more spiritual, which is fascinating because if you're in South Florida, particularly in Palm Beach County, a study came out many years ago, and we cite it often here at our church, that as far as counties go, not cities, but as far as counties go, the most unchurched people in America live in Palm Beach County, which means we have the largest collection of people who have never done church ever in Palm Beach County. Now, it's one thing for it to go, there's a lot of unchurched people, people call them the nuns. It's another thing to say this group of people is increasingly becoming more spiritual, especially with younger generations. They're increasingly becoming more spiritual, but they are becoming less religious at the exact same time. And so it's one thing to ask the question of, does God exist? That's a good question. In our culture, increasingly the question is becoming, not only does God exist, but if he does exist, which many people are presuming the spiritual realm is real, well, if God is real, then what is he like? Who is God? And when you say the word God, who do you mean? And so we decided to spend a few weeks talking about that because the gift of Christianity to the conversation is not our philosophy and our best guess. We believe that God has come through on the other side of eternity and answered the question for us, who is God and what is he like? He has stepped onto the stage of human history and go, let me answer it for you. I'll tell you exactly who I am. And so across this series, we're talking about and looking at ways that God shows us who he is, not only what he did in the Bible, but what he does in my life and in your life and in our lives here in 2023. So week one, we talked about divine presence, where God, how he reveals himself to people, how he did it to Jacob with the dream that he had about the stairway to heaven, how God revealed himself to Jacob then, how God reveals himself fully in Jesus, and how Jesus walks down the stairway to heaven into our lives, and how he still is revealing himself to people right here, right now. In week two, we talked about the divine name of how God told Moses his name at the burning bush. And ultimately, it's revealed that God's name is revealed in Scripture as Jesus of Nazareth. And because God has told us what his name is and who he is, that means that God is knowable, that God is accessible, and that God is personal and wants a relationship with you. Last week, Pastor Dale did a great job where he talked about divine character. We're again with Moses. Moses asked God to show me your glory. And God said, no, but I'll tell you what I'm like. You know my name. Now I'm going to tell you my heart. And ultimately we learned that God is profoundly good and loves people and especially sinful people. That he's a forgiving and a gracious and merciful God that's so clearly fully revealed to humanity in Jesus of Nazareth. And today we're going to conclude this series. We're talking about divine community. Divine community. So we've been in Genesis and we've been in Exodus. We're going to take a quantum leap into the New Testament. And we're just going to jump right into the very first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, which is one of four ancient biographies of the life of Jesus. The four Gospels are, name them if you know them. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now the story we're about to read is in all four of these Gospels because it's that significant of a story. And so we believe that something happens when we open our hearts, when we read, um, when we open our hearts as we read the Bible, that God can speak to our hearts and change our lives. As a sign of that, we're asking if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? And this is Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And this is the story of when Jesus got baptized. 
If you're new to the Bible, go, Jesus got baptized? Jesus got baptized. Check this out. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, uh, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Wow. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So God, um, here's my prayer. Open our eyes to see amazing, wonderful things in your word today. And just like the Holy Spirit um, descended upon Jesus, um, Lord, in, in a mysterious, spiritual, mystical way too, would you cause that same spirit? He's, your presence is already here with us now, but we would like for the spirit to do that even more in each of our individual lives. And so as a song I've heard recently um, on my phone and on YouTube sings, would you cause the spirit, your spirit, to come and descend upon the Jesus that's within us now too? Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. All right, so baptism of Jesus. All four of the Gospels, the ancient biographies of the life of Jesus, um, have this story in it because it's so significant. Now, if you're new to the Bible, it is a little weird. The Spirit of God's coming. He's showing up like a bird. Is God an Eagles fan? I don't understand what's happening here. Um, it, it is mysterious. It is mystical. I just want to acknowledge that in the room. Um, I found a picture this week that really helped me kind of get my mind's eye an artistic rendering of what's happening in this moment that I thought would be helpful for us to navigate this deeply, profoundly spiritual moment. Here's the picture that I found. Oh, <laughs> it's just, who thought that up? We're just going to put a parrot right here on top of Jesus' head. That's stupid. Go ahead and take that off. Nobody wants to see that. This is a mysterious thing that's happening here, though. Now, it's so uh, such a landmark moment in the life of ministry of Jesus that people still make pilgrimage to the Jordan River today uh, to be baptized or to be, even, if you've already been baptized, to remember your baptism in the Jordan River. Um, so here's a picture of my parents actually went to Israel last year, and here's a picture of this is my dad, and this is the senior pastor of my home church where I grew up, and they're baptizing my mom in the Jordan River. Isn't that cool? Yeah, very cool. They actually came back with water from the Jordan River that we put in the basin when we baptized my baby boy Asa last year. Yeah, super cool moment for me and my family. So this is deeply significant, especially for people who are trying to navigate being a follower of Jesus and his way in the world. Uh, it's confusing at first. Why does Jesus need to get baptized? He doesn't have any sin that he needs to repent of. And even John in the story gets confused by that. I just love Jesus, that he's so humble, that he's even willing to identify with us in our sins and the need to be baptized, even though in a spiritual sense, he has no sin to repent of. We believe that he lived a perfect life, that he perfectly loved God and he perfectly loved people. 
And there's nothing for him to repent of, but because he so closely identifies with us and our need and our brokenness as a human being, that he went to be baptized as one of us, just like he went to go to the cross to die for our sins. I love the humility of Jesus, don't you? So wonderful. Now, what I really want to show you today starts in verse 16. It's 16 and 17, and there's three things I know. So if you're taking notes, I want you to underline these three phrases here. Either put them in your app, your phone, your paper Bible, your journal, however you're taking notes or following along. So as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. What a mysterious thing. Who knows what that looked like, what that felt like. And he saw the Spirit of God. So underline that. The Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. It's more important that the Spirit came upon Jesus than what form the Spirit took when he came upon Jesus. And then a a voice from heaven, underline that. So clearly, God is speaking from heaven, a voice from heaven. And he probably sounds like Morgan Freeman. But anyway. (laughs) And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Wow. Okay, so we have God speaking from heaven. We have God's son who is being baptized in this moment, which to say somebody's the son of God means they are equal with God. And then the spirit of God is showing up too. So we have the father, we have God, we have the son, we have the spirit. This is God on God defining God. This is God telling us who he is, just like he's done in the past three weeks. And what is God telling us about who he is? This wasn't our idea. This wasn't John the Baptist's idea. This was God on God, telling us about God. And so what is he telling us? That God is a trinity. God is a trinity. Three equals one. This is the basic core Christian doctrine, Christian idea of God. That God exists eternally as three co-equal, co-divine people. One God in three persons. Let me pause here, and I want to just take a moment to, I'm going to ask everybody to put your thinking cap on today. Um, I'm not going to bore everybody. Thank you. You actually put it on. I appreciate that. I want you to put your thinking caps on today. I'm going to do my dead level best to try to explain the Trinity uh, before we apply its meaning to our lives. We are going to get practical. This is not Bible trivia at church. This, I'm doing, going to do my dead level best to make this important and significant for your life right here, right now, and this time in your life or wherever you're streaming from. But to first to apply it, we have to understand it. So just hang with me. I'm going to get practical. And try to pray for me. This is not easy to try to explain the Trinity. St. Augustine said this about the Trinity. He said, if you deny the Trinity, you lose your soul. If you try to explain it, you're going to lose your mind. (laughs) Pray for me today that I don't jack it up, okay? All right, so let's talk about the biblical idea of the Trinity. All right, so the Trinity, that word in and of itself, did you know, is not in the Bible. It's, It's nowhere in the Bible. Now, that, co- that term was coined in the second, third century by uh, a church father, one of the first leaders of the church after the eyewitnesses of Jesus had passed away, a man named Tertullian. And he coined the term Trinity to describe what's in the Bible. So even though the term Trinity is not in the Bible, it, the concept of it is all over the pages of the Bible. It's, it's everywhere in it. So let's take a little bit of a journey and look at this. The very first verse of the Bible is Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Not a big deal, right? Except for when you look in Hebrew, this word here for God, it's plural. It's plural, 
But I thought you said there's only one God. Right, there's only one God. The Jewish people were the fierce defenders of monotheism in the ancient world and even still today. There is only one God. Got it. But that word is plural. Right. What? Okay, so 26 verses later, God's creating the whole world, and then he goes to create humanity. And God said, let us. What? That's God. Right. But then he says us. What? Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. There's only one God. Right. But he's using plural pronouns. Right. Is he talking to the angels? No, because the angels aren't made in the image of God. So who in the world is God talking to? He's talking to God. But there's only one God. Right. Huh. Wait a minute. If you look in the Old Testament, this concept is everywhere in there. I don't have time to show it to you all today, but check this out in Isaiah 55. So this is the prophet Isaiah, and this is God speaking through Isaiah. And God said this, I am the Lord. Again, all caps means it's the divine name. It means he's Yahweh. I am Yahweh. And there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none besides me, and I am Yahweh, and there is no other. Oh, I'm so glad we cleared that up. There is only one God. This is getting confusing. Whew. Problem is, if you turn the page, if you go to Isaiah 48, just three chapters later, in the same book, check this out. In verse 16, God's still speaking, and God says, come near to me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At that time it happens, I am there. And check this out. And now the sovereign Lord, so the sovereign Yahweh, has sent me. What? Uh-oh. So the sovereign Yahweh has sent the servant of Yahweh endowed with the spirit of Yahweh. There's only one God. Right. But there's three of you here. Right. Wait a minute. This comes into just such clear focus when Jesus comes on the scene, not only in his baptism that we already just read, but then check this out. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, this is after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And so everyone knows now that he's not a liar, he's not a lunatic, and he's not a cult leader. If you claim that you're going to die, and on the third day you're going to rise from the dead, and then you do it, people should listen to what you say, and it validated what Jesus claimed. And so at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this. He came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is talking like he's God. If you have all authority in heaven and earth, you're God. And yet somebody gave it to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God. Right. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Instead of this ethereal, plural oneness, at the same time, Jesus has given names to these three people. A Father and a Son and a Spirit. And the first followers of Jesus, because they're so intimately um, acquainted with the Old Testament, they got this because they saw this mystery in the Old Testament scriptures, but now has a name, a father and a son and a spirit. In fact, the apostle, um, the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4, this is at the end of the book, and this is a benediction, which is like a wish prayer you pray over somebody, like we do sometimes at the end of services here. And he says, may the grace of the Lord, which if you call somebody Lord, that means they're God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with you all. Three in one. Wow. So the first followers of Jesus tried to wrap their brains around this. They totally saw this concept over and over and over again in scripture. And they ultimately came up with this formula here, which is what is Trinity? It's this, that God is three persons. Each person is fully God. And there is, there is one God. This is all Christians everywhere at all times, Catholic Christians, Protestant Christians, Orthodox Christians, all believe this about God. And in fact, it's when someone denies one of these three things, that's where every single cult ever formed starts from, is by denying one of these three things. This is who God is. Now, you might be looking at that, and you might be thinking, well, that looks really complex, and that looks like a contradiction. And But just because it's complex does not mean that it's a contradiction. And some of my research this week, I learned about a man named John Polkinghorn, which how about that name? <laughs> Polkinghorn. I'm this many, right? Okay. I'm five. Ha ha ha. Okay. So um, John Polkinghorn, real quickly, was a brilliant man, a theoretical physicist, and he was a devout follower of Jesus. He was the president of Cambridge College, brilliant man. And um, he wrote and taught a lot about quantum theory physics, which is like what happens in the subatomic world. Now, um, disclaimer... Um, the only thing I knew about quantum theory before this week all came from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> so before anybody thinks I'm like smarty pants and, and whatever, just hang with me. So I learned something this week. So John Polkinghorne, to describe quantum theory, did a really interesting thing. He talked about an illustration he saw one time. And he said, uh, he took somebody, one of these professors took out a piece of chalk and he broke it in half. And he said, now in the physical world, a piece of chalk can either be here or it can be there. In the physical world, that's just, it's either here or it's there. But because of the advancements in quantum theory and quantum mechanics and quantum computing and quantum optics, which have led to the creation of the MRI and the semiconductor and LED screens and countless other things that are coming, in the quantum realm, instead of one thing being here or there, if you replace this piece of chalk with an electron, something can be a little bit here and a little bit there at the same time. This is the, the very edges of scientific discovery right now. And so people ask, well, is it one piece of chalk or two pieces of chalk? According to quantum theory, the answer is yes. And so as we understand more about the universe and how dazzling complex the universe is, just because something is complex doesn't mean it's not true. Just because something's complex doesn't mean it's not true. Maybe I'll lost you on quantum theory. Let's do something from music. Can we call Kat back up? Kat, can you come up here and help me? Would you welcome Kat? Okay, so I'm not a music person. Uh, my wife is a musician, and I'm, I'm here. So um, here's a picture of the piano in, my, in our home. And um, now anybody who's a trained musician will think immediately, your hand position is terrible. My mother-in-law is a pianist. I know this is just for the picture so people can see my fingers, okay? Um, so this is a C chord. It's a C triad, but it's made of three notes, C, an E, and a G. So Kat, uh, let's go ahead and turn the piano on. Kat, can you hit C for me? 
Can you hit C again? There we go. Can you hit E? Can you hit G? Three separate notes. Now hit them all together. Hit them all together. Do it again. One more time. Is it three notes or one chord? Yes. Is it one God or three persons? Yes. Who is God? God is a trinity of three people. Now, great. What does all this matter for your life? Here's where it matters. Ultimately, at the core of the nature of God, what does it mean, the significance of God being a trinity? It means God is a community in and of himself. And it just started pouring right now because God is blessing what we're saying, okay? God is a community. At the very core nature of God, God is a friendship between three people that are so perfect in love that they are one. God is the, in his very essence of community. God is not a loner. God is not alone on a throne somewhere. God is together eternally and past and present and future as Father, Son, and Spirit. God is a community. Now, what, one of the best depictions I've ever seen of this is an ancient icon from the 14th century made by a man named Rublev. Now, this picture here is taken from Genesis 18 where God came to visit Abraham. And when God came to visit Abraham, he appeared as three messengers, but God was speaking to him. It's three in one, even back then in the scriptures. Now, I don't have this type of art in my house. My wife is more like Joanna Gaines' modern farmhouse than ancient icon. But here's what I love about this. It's three people at a table. So um, I brought... A little bit of show and tell for everybody today. Um, I collect coffee mugs. Anybody else collect coffee mugs? Okay, a couple of us. Um, I like collecting Starbucks city mugs. And um, particularly if it's a city I've been to or family or friend who's been to, you can only get them in that city. You can't buy them online. So here's one from London. Anybody been to London? Yeah, several hands. Okay. All right. Um, Here's Washington State. I'm from Seattle. So this one here I got last year. My mom brought that back from visiting family in Seattle. Uh, Anybody here love Tennessee? Yeah, right. Tennessee, so great. Smoky Mountains, all that. All right. Um, So there's Tennessee. We got London. We have Washington. You know what I love about this picture? It means that I love how God is depicted as three friends around a table. Instead of looking at something churchy and ornate like this, I like to think about God as three friends. They join a cup of coffee together. Or maybe you're not a coffee person. Maybe it's a meal together. Humans always understand that when you sit at a table together and you share a beverage together, share a meal together, there's oneness and community and friendship and relationship and equality all together. And this is what God is like. It's way more normal than some abstract thing. It's three people around a table enjoying each other. He's a community. Now check this out. In the icon, there's a setting, not in the middle of the table, but there's a setting right here with food and a dish for an open spot. There's an open spot at the table of the Trinity. Now they're not auditioning who's going to be the fourth member of the Godhead. You know, they're not doing that. But what they are doing 
It's saying they've saved a seat for somebody. This is my Kentucky mug. Anybody love Kentucky? I got this when I was uh, in seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky for four years. And here's the beauty of this. That God is a relationship between three people that has an open seat for you and for me. Where God not only is a community, but God invites you and I to come sit at their table. God invites you into community. Uh, When I was growing up, um, I struggled with friends when I was in elementary school. Now, God brought wonderful friends to me later on. You know, God was very good in providing friends to me, but it took several years when we first moved to Florida. Oh, my brother, on the very first day of elementary school, we moved to Florida. He met his, the very first day of fifth grade for him. He met his very best friend in the whole world, even to this day. They're each other's best men at their weddings. They went to college together. They live in the same town. They're raising their kids together. Lucky, right? When I moved to Florida, same time, every time I made a friend, they moved away. For my entire time in elementary school and going into middle school. And I just, it wasn't any of my fault, obviously. You know, parents get jobs and people transfer and people have to leave in Florida as a transient place. But I couldn't keep a friend because every time I made one, I finally had a best friend and they would leave and move. And I remember being the kid in the lunchroom going, I don't know where I'm going to sit today. And that's later on in high school when I did have more friends, I would always look out for the kid who was sitting alone because I knew what it felt like. Like, hey, why don't you come sit with me and come sit with my friends? Don't sit alone. Because I know what that feels like, that I wanted to belong so bad to have a seat that somebody would save for me. And so when I think about the Trinity and I think about the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and they have a place for saying, hey, Trev, We have a spot saved just for you. That makes me all warm inside. It makes me want to say yes to God over and over and over and over again. That the God of the universe has saved a spot for me and he saved a spot for you. For the lonely, for the hurting, for the outcast, for those who need a friend. There's a seat saved with your name on it. Now here's the wonderful mystery about all this. Not only does God invite you into his community, but the crazy part about this is that you can't sit at this spiritual table experiencing the community that God wants to envelop us in. You can't sit at a divine table with God unless you're sitting at a real physical table too with other people who are seeking God. Because not only does God invite you into community, you were created for community. John Wesley, the founder of our tradition, was on fire as a young man for God and wanted more of God. And then he had an older, wiser person, more seasoned in the Christian faith, say to him, hey, John, just chill out for a second. Here's what you need to do. And because this person gave John Wesley this advice, it led to one of the great awakenings in the Western world. And this is the advice John Wesley got as a young man. This person said to him, sir, you wish to serve God and go to heaven? Remember, you cannot serve him alone. You must therefore find companions or make them because the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. You can't sit at this table with God unless you're also learning how to sit at a table with other people 
who are seeking Jesus too. If God's a community, then you're created for community too. So let me end with where I began. It's group season, guys. It's not an announcement. I'm preaching to you. If you want to grow your faith, find a circle to sit in with other people seeking Jesus. And the more you sit with other people seeking Jesus, the more you'll find yourself sitting with the Trinity. There's a place saved for you here, and God's waiting for you to come sit with him here. If you'll step in and do it. Life is better connected. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for the person now who um, is maybe not yet in a group in our church. Would you give them courage, especially if they're in a place where they're ready to grow and stretch and challenge their faith and want to develop it more? Give them courage to step out of anonymity and to come step into a circle so that they may know others and through knowing others, they may know you. And Lord, I pray for the groups already existing in our church and for people already part of a group. Would you give us grace to double down, to resist the current that pulls us out of community, to lean into Christian community so that in knowing each other and loving each other, we would know and love you. Come help us, Lord. You're the God of community and we love you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. So let me say this in closing. Um, If you don't have a group or you're looking for a new group, you're in Loxahatchee. There are people in the lobby and on the sides who are group specialists who help you find the group that's just right for you. We've got a seat for you if you want to grow your faith. Come sign up for a group. If you're online and you need a group, we have groups for you too. Go on the website and go check them out. We have Alpha starting online, like Pastor Dale said at the start of the service. Go check that out. Step into a group. Uh, we have people here, if you're live in the room, who are willing to pray for you on the side. So if you need prayer for anything, come this way before you go that way. But otherwise, would you prepare your hearts to receive this benediction? And this is from the Apostle Paul that we read earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with each of you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.